you stand at the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Psalm 19. This is the word of Christ, which the Spirit speaks to us this morning because he loves us. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You may be seated. So I've been, uh, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I've been playing racquetball again, and I'm really enjoying it. And um, play with this friend um, whose name I'm not going to mention because the story doesn't make him look good, but he's in this section over here. Um, <clears throat> the other day when we were playing, uh, he told me, I was, it was this one play where I was really close to the wall, and he's supposed to hit the, the ball at the wall, and he was somewhat close to me. And he told me after the, the point, he said, I, I really almost hit you. And I realized when he said that, what was so startling and kind of scary was that he wasn't telling me a funny. Like, he wasn't saying, I, I just want you to know, I was almost going to hit you. He was confessing a dark desire in his heart. I... He said it in a way where he was telling me the truth. I really wanted to hit you, and I chose not to. And I thought, I thought I knew this guy. And so in the next, the next day we play, he, 
he, he hit me three times in four plays. You think you know someone. I thought I knew him, really. I mean, he's a close friend. And know him pretty well. Uh, but he was revealing something about himself that I did not know. And that's true about himself. It really is. You have to get into the right place sometimes. You have to get into the right situation in order to receive more revelation and understanding of a purpose. This morning, as we come to Psalm 19, I want to ask you, do you know God? The person, God. And as you think about your answer, I want to ask you how, if you think you know Him, how did you come to know Him? Why do you think those things about who He is? This psalm tells us how to know God. And what I want you to see is the psalm ends with this truth. That it is only after we come to know God from His own words that we really start to even know who we are at all. The sermon in a sentence is this. Creatures see glory, but hearers can know the Lord. There is something that every creature can really see, and that is glory. But you have to be a hearer if you are going to know the Lord. What we have in Psalm 19 is three testimonies. It's beautifully laid out. This is one of the reasons I want you to just look at the psalm. We have three testimonies, two of the testimonies reveal who God is. And then the last one is a testimony of someone who has received that revelation and his response to God. So point number one, testimony number one, comes from the heavens. And the testimony is God is glorious. Verses one through six, the heavens tell us God is glorious. Glorious. Verses 1 through 4, we see the sky speaks. The sky speaks. The planner, the orderer, the initiator, the sustainer, the ex nihilo or out of nothing speaker. Of the clouds in the sky, of the stars, and the planets, and the thunder, and the lightning, and the winds, the heavens tell us, He who made all these things is glorious. And verse 2 says that their revelation is round-the-clock revelation. Look at verse 2. It is All the time that day is pouring out speech and night is revealing knowledge. Day and night is 
is, is, it's like heavens and earth in Genesis chapter 1. It's, in, in, in literature, it's called a merism, which just means you use the two extremes to, to, to say everything. Day and night means all the time. It's either day or night. And all of day and all of night is revealing who God is. I remember having a distinct thought when I was a teenager and we, I guess we, we maybe didn't go to many weddings or the weddings we were going to and the reception we were going to were not always that nice. But I was going to one that was really extravagant. And I remember as a teenager who loved food and, and who especially loved chocolate food. Um, uh, when I went up and I f- saw for the first time a chocolate fountain. And I've always been mesmerized by manufacturing. Like, how, do, how does this thing happen? How does this thing get made? Um, I never actually come to conclusions about that because I'm not that smart. But I'm amazed by the fact that it happens. And I see this, this um, overflowing, never-ending, but not spilling over, um, liquid from heaven. And I wondered, how can this be? Who made this? Day and night, every day, and all of night... Creation, it's the language of a, of a fountain, pours out and inundates or floods us with communication. In other words, there is never a moment in your life, if you're looking, that you would not also be hearing that God is glorious. These, this is why day and night exist. Then in verses 3 and 4, we see a world-traveling word. A world-traveling word. It's not just that the heavens are speaking all the time, but you notice in verses 3 and 4, there's a different point that's being made. It's that the heavens are speaking everywhere. Everywhere. in, In the whole world. Now, notice, though, that the word, their word, the heavens, the skies, when it, when it speaks, it speaks with a voice that is not heard. It speaks a word that is not heard. And yet, verse 4, that word and voice do, in fact, go out to the end of the world. It is a speechless kind of speech. See, the beauty of this psalm is saying that the sky is speaking always, but not in words like we use. I remember um, several years ago when we lived in Houston, I got up early one morning and I was praying and I was studying because I was about to teach um, Sunday school. And, and I, I think I was studying in Isaiah. And, and, and I remember distinctly uh, being in this room, trying to be quiet before the Lord and listening to him. And there was this great storm. And, and all of a sudden, the thunder bolt uh, hit or whatever sounded. It was such a huge sound that I literally go from doing this to I fell back. Now, I, some of you know that I'm really a weak person. But that's not the point of the story. That it was such a huge crack a thunder. And maybe you can remember a time in your life when you've been awed under the glorious power of God that you have personally witnessed in creation. It is telling you something about God. 
Are you listening? Verses 5 and 6, then the, the psalmist David gives us an illustration of preaching. And he presents to us the Spurgeon of the skies. The greatest preacher in all of the heavens is the sun. It is, we understand this, right? Whenever he, why he would call out the sun and, and use the sun as an example of the one who is, is the primary, the, 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 the senior pastor, so to speak, of the church of heaven is the sun because it is the most dominant feature in the heavens. It is a star unlike any other star. Our very life depends on the sun in a way that that it doesn't depend on anything else in the heavens. We would freeze to death were it not for the sun. We would be living in darkness and fall to our death if we didn't have the light from the sun. I'm told photosynthesis is a thing that the sun helps to provide our food. We would not live, we would not have anything without the sun. And in verses 5 and 6, we're told that the sun is speaking, that God is glorious. And, and what I want you to notice is, is David is saying, the sun is joyful to preach. And you may not be a preacher. And so let me let you in on the experience of a preacher. It's not always, but it is enough of an experience in my life that it is an act of faith to walk up here and preach. It it, it is a regular enough, and, and some of you know me really well and you know this, experience that I'm wondering Is this doing anything? Does this matter at all? And I end up, by God's grace, saying, His word won't return void. It is true. He is glorious. There is such a thing as a reluctant preacher. And and sadly, I've been a reluctant preacher at times. There's other times where where it's, it's, it's a different kind of a problem that stands in the way of a preacher like Jonah. And it's not that he, he uh, is wondering if this will work. He knows it will work. And his heart doesn't want to see God work through the preaching. And so Jonah was a reluctant preacher. Well, don't you see what kind of preacher the son is? It's the kind of preacher that never dreads the moment. The son is the kind of preacher like a bridegroom on the day of his wedding. How joyful he comes out of that tent because he is delighted to accomplish the work that has been set before him on that day in particular, that wedding day. He is eager for the event, and that is the way the Son says that God is glorious. But then there's this second illustration. And for that, I want to let you in on the preacher's experience again, and I hope Well, it's fine for you to think less of me. Um, So this is good. Uh, Often, 
Um, preachers generally feel this often on Sunday or Monday. It's what we call a preaching hangover. And in a preaching hangover, we have poured ourselves out so much. And sometimes we're wondering, did, did that matter at all? Is the Lord working in any of this? And there can be real discouragement at that. And there's a real fatigue. I've got to get up and do it again. I've got to produce this again. The sun is not that kind of preacher. That's the next image of a strong man. The, the sun is joyful like a strong runner. That's the image. It's the Olympian who has, who's made for the moment that the, that the gun goes off and he gets to actually run his course. He runs it with joy because he's so strong. He wants that prize that he's been training for all of his life. And so he's filled with joy. Now I get to do it and I am able to endure. I will not trip. I'm strong and I'm ready for this very act. The sun is not like those preachers who preach in order to get a name for themselves, the sun shines and heats every nook in this world and every person in this world from the tribes in the remotest parts of the Amazon to the Aborigines in Australia. The sun is rejoicing all the day long when it comes out of its tent and it meets new congregation after new congregation throughout the world all day long. And he's preaching and he's making a name that the God who rules over it is greater than it. God is glorious. The Son is full, filled with joy, David says, in preaching this. And, and what I want to say at this point is do not get so accustomed to the sermons of the sky and get bored with what you are able to witness every single day and night. God is glorious. Do not miss their message. Glory. Do you know what that means? It means heavy. That's what the heavens are saying. God is heavy with importance. In, in the original language in verse 1, it's just beautiful. The, the, the first line in verse 1 ends with the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the very next words are, are don't, don't read in the original the way that our English reads it. The very next words are, the work of his hands proclaims the skies. In other words, the heavens are preaching God is glorious. And then the heavens say, all of this is the work of His hands. There is a God who did all of this. He did it all. He sustains it all. He is weighed down with significance. He is the most important being in all of the universe. And all we need is the heavens to learn that. All we need is to look up. And if we're not deaf and blind, when we look up, we should realize that God is the heaviest reality and He should be the heaviest influence on every moment and every thought and every action in our every single day. That's the truth. Creatures can actually see 
glory. But hearers can know the Lord. And so we have a second testimony, and it's good that we do. Verses 7 through 11, in comes the word of the Lord. And its testimony about itself is, I am perfect. The word of the Lord, I am perfect. What we're reading is the reflections of a man who had spent many nights looking into the sky. And David spent many of his days running away from evil. And because he's the true king of Israel that Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy 17, he would be the kind of man who wrote for himself a copy of God's word and read it all of his days. In other words, what we're reading about Revelation is the expert opinion of a man who knew these matters well. So in verses 7 through 9, he tells us what the word is and what the word does. Uh, David gives us different, um, different ways to describe the word of God. He, he gives us different descriptions of, of what it is, but then also what the word does. So let me go through these quickly. Verse 1, the law. That could be the whole Old Testament, but maybe especially what Moses wrote that was received at Mount Sinai. And David says that is perfect. It is without any errors. It is totally consistent. And it revives the soul. That's good news. You need to get verse, excuse me, verse 7. You need to get what the law does. It revives the soul which means restores the one who is errant, returns someone's soul to God. It's the law of God that does that. And then verse 7, the testimony of the Lord. These are the words that he, he reveals about a relationship with him. They are sure, which means they're trustworthy. They make the simple wise. They really can tell us how we can live rightly with the Lord. And then verse 8 the precepts, these are, these are right, he says, and they rejoice the heart. If you listen to God's word, your heart will find joy. Isn't that what we're all searching for? Is a heart that is full and feels like it has meaning and purpose in life. Well, listen to the precepts of God. And then verse 8, the commandment. Or all the commands of God, they are pure and they enlighten the eyes. In other words, if you want to know what you should do in your life, if you want light for your path, you listen to the commands of God. You obey His Word. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean. I think fear is, is saying this is what the Word produces in those who really listen. It makes us see God for who He is and we fear Him. And that kind of fear is clean and it endures forever. In other words, fearing Him because He is so clean. He is so pu- pure. He is so righteous. So we know the truth. Whatever is dirty that comes into His clean presence has to die. So the fear of the Lord, 
How does it endure forever? How can it live forever? Because it is clean. And that, is, that better be what the word of God is producing in us. A fear and honor and reverence of almighty God. Finally, verse 9, the rules. Or rulings, judgments of a judge are true. So much frustration in this world because judges aren't that great. The authorities, as good as they are, can't really bring about justice. Not fully, not finally, not true of what God rules and judges in his word. They are righteous altogether, meaning every decision he makes, every decision we read about in scripture, there is never any wrong decision that the Lord ever makes. And so, that leads David in verses 10 and 11 to say that God is, God's word is precious and pleasurable. What should your posture be to so great a treasure? that we have in God's book. That I, even I, too easily neglect, too easily take for granted. David tells us we should desire it. And we should desire this word above the most precious and the most pleasurable things in all of the world. Here's a test. If you were given two options, a billion dollars, or, I've only seen this movie once, so I'm not even sure I'm using this right, but Matrix. A matrix-like download immediately of all of God's word so that all of it is hidden in your heart and you memorize all of it. A billion dollars or all of God's word in your heart of hearts, which would you reach for? In 1849, there was the famous gold rush in California. Hundreds of thousands of people rush to get gold Because it's so valuable. It's so rare. Beloved, we should be rushing every chance we get to store up this word. To stock stock away more of what can actually revive our souls in this world full of darkness. In this heart that's filled with sin. That leads us astray from God. This can return us to this God. Don't skip the word any day that you can. Don't skip Sundays. And you know what? If you heard that Redeemer Church was handing out gold bars on Sunday, I'm guessing that would fill the building quickly. And God's word, the next image, is sweeter than honey. For me, Sundays are feast days, like literally when I eat. I'm trying to be really careful about what I eat. Um, But Sundays, the Lord's day, 
I try to match the sweetness of this day by feasting. One of the ways I feast is today's the day I get honey in my coffee. I look forward to Sunday morning coffee. And I, I put honey on my pecans with my apple uh, for my snack. If, you know this, right? If you want to complete a, a, a satisfying meal, how do you do it? You do it with sweetness. Friends, we get to hear about a God who is not disinterested from us, who wants to fill the hearts of his people with joy. He has spoken to us. But I want you to see in verse 11, if the Lord has spoken, what should we do with this word that is so precious and so pleasurable. It is not enough that you just get yourself here and here. Verse 11 says, you have to heed. It will not be valuable to you. It will not be pleasing to you. It will not make your life rich. It will not be sweet to your soul if you just sit under the hearing and do no heeding. He's warning. And it, it is so pleasurable and precious because or to those who heed the warnings. It is not just enough to know some things about God. You have to keep what he says is true. Verse 11. It says to keep his commandments that are blessed. It is more If he's the one who's warning, he's telling the truth. He is righteous and holy and he's going to judge. And all of his judgments are going to be exactly right. That is more valuable to you, it should be, than gold. And keeping his rules, they lead us. This is the path to life. Keep chasing in the world. You keep chasing in the world all these joys and you will be empty every time. He says, follow me and I know how to rejoice your heart. How precious, how sweet is his word. We get to know the king who rules over the sun. The Lord of the thunder has spoken. How could we ignore all the warnings? Or not heed all the commands. Friends, this word is not just something to be aware of. God has not left us merely with heaven's wordless speech. He has given us his word. Creatures see glory, but hearers can know the Lord. The Bible is better. It's better than all that out there. It's better than the skies. I want you to see in the beauty of this psalm, that point made very clearly. Look at those first verses, verses 1 through 6. And how many times do you see the name of God? You don't actually see the name of God at all. You see the word God once. In other words, the heavens can reveal God that there is one who is glorious. But then, once we turn over to 7 through the rest of the chapter, look at God's name. 
the Lord. The Word is what tells us. The God of glory has a name. It is the Word that we need to know what He is like. It is the Word that then tells us what we are like. Look, did you count in verses 7 through 14 how many times the word Lord is mentioned? Seven times. David is is drawing this together to say seven, the number of perfection. The Word perfectly reveals that true God who you can have hints of. But it's only the Word that is sure and right and pure and clean and true. And the only right response to hearing that the God who made all of this, what He's like is to say, if you're reasonable, I want that God. You do not eat a delicious meal, the best meal of your life, and then just think of cows or beef. You, you start thinking, I can't make meat taste like that. Who did this? Who made this? Sunrises are beautiful to tell us that God is beautiful. The sun sets so that we can sleep to make us say, I want to know the one who is so merciful to me to give me rest. The stars just keep on staying in their place to make us say, I want to know the one who is strong enough to hold even them. The word tells us that it is the Lord who does these things who and who loves the weak and who forgives the sinner and who is full of grace and truth. And so it is when David is reflecting on what the word has revealed about the Lord that we get this third testimony Point number three, verses 12 through 14, we hear a sinner sinner say, I want you, God, accept me. Here's the testimony. We hear a sinner. Isn't this wonderful? The heavens tell us God is glorious. The word says I am perfect. And then all of a sudden, David knows I'm not perfect. Accept me. He says, first of all, justify me from sins that I don't even know that I committed. Hidden faults. Paul said, I'm not aware of anything against myself. I've confessed all my sins. I've repented of all my sins. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. Just because I think I've not sinned in any way that I haven't confessed or repented of doesn't mean I haven't. Friends, do you know what God says about what happened when sin entered the world? It affected all of us. Not just each of us, but every bit of each of us. Now, it is better to sin and not know that you sinned than to sin on purpose. But David, whenever he hears about this clean and pure Lord, he realizes if I'm going to endure forever, I've got to be clean and pure. I've got to be perfect. Believers don't just want to escape by the hairs of our chinny chin chin. We don't just want to get in. The heart of a believer is in the words of David. Believers want to be completely innocent. And yet when we hear of God's wisdom and knowledge, we come to know just how ignorant we are. I don't even know all the ways that I've sinned. 
I'm at fault in ways that are hidden even to mine. I, I, I can't discern or know the errors that I've committed. And so next he says, keep me back from high-handed sins. Not just the, presum- or the, the, the hidden faults, but high-handed sins. Oh, friend, listen. Presumptuous sins. Sins that are committed while you are presuming that God is going to forgive you. Knowing I'm about to sin against him and I'm just going to presume he's going to forgive me for this. Listen to David. They are blatant. I know this is wrong and I'm going to do it anyway. How does David feel about this? They are worse than hidden faults. Now, hidden faults will keep you out of heaven. Because you've got to be perfect there. But our rebellion against this glorious and good Lord is on display whenever we hear him say, no, that's evil. And we say, yes, I want it. And David says, when you do that, it will enslave you, dominate you, rule over you. Keep making that decision to do what you know is wrong and it will rule and be your king. And you were made to worship only one king. It's the one that the sun in the sky worships. So David says, if you, Lord, declare me innocent, and if you, Lord, will keep me back from sin, then, end of verse 13, then I'll be blameless, and then I'll be innocent of great transgression. The word reveals that we are to blame And it also reveals, this is why David is asking the Lord to do these things, that we cannot cleanse ourselves. He's got to do it. Whenever God reveals himself, what ends up happening, according to David, is we get exposed. Our sin is exposed. And the believer responds to exposure by saying, I still want you, Lord. I want you. I want to be accepted by you. I need to be with you. Find my hidden faults and forgive me. Break the power of sin because I can't. Break the power of rebellion over me because I cannot do it. Make me blameless because of the, the only the clean can endure forever. And I want you. Make my, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, all my thoughts, all my words acceptable to you. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, you've got to do it. And he does it. Beloved, it is, this is so good news for David to write this a thousand years before his distant son Jesus was born. God actually finds hidden faults in us and he can still declare us innocent. How can that be? There are hints in here. Verse 13, the word blameless is a word that we would have read earlier in God's word, which talks about a sacrifice that is blameless or without blemish. How is it that the, lo- the law can revive and return our soul to the Lord? It is according to the law. It revives the soul. How? Through sacrifices, through blood that is shed on behalf of sinners. And then verse 14, see that word accept? That's the same word that's used in the sacrificial system in Israel, where God accepts a sacrifice in place of sinners. We're not going to go there because of time, but I would encourage you later to read Hebrews 9. 
And I will tell you, this is singing of the Lord Jesus. Who, Hebrews 1 says, is the perfect imprint, the radiance of the glory of God. He is actually God in the flesh. He's the one who reveals and and exposes what God is like. And he, chapter 9, goes on and makes a sacrifice. And and what you'll find in Hebrews chapter 9 is it says that all the other sacrifices that Israel offered up only covered hidden faults. All that blood, all those lambs, all the death on all the years were only for the the sins that Israel didn't even know they committed. And they could not perfect the consciences of worshipers. But when the Lamb of God shed his own blood on a cross and brought into the presence of a holy God his blood, and God accepted Jesus' blood because he was a blameless sacrifice and then raised Jesus from the dead. He raised Jesus in order to make blameless those who had fault, in order to break the power of sin over their lives. The good news of Psalm 14 is that God says yes to verses 12 through 14. If you're here and you're very aware that you do not, you are not devoted to the Lord, what will you say to Him when you see Him? I know I did some things. Will you declare me innocent like David? It won't work. The only thing that works is to trust in the one who came. The one that David was hoping for. The one that God gave. He was the blameless one. And he died for those who were full of blame. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ. And you can actually know the Lord. If you are here and you are trusting in Christ, you should Rejoice. Psalm 19 has just spoken to us. Verses 7 through 9, those describe what the Word does to us. God's Word does this. And and verses 12 through 14, God has actually declared us to be innocent because of Christ's blood. He really has broken the dominion of sin over us. And He is going to satisfy us with truth about Him. And then He's going to bring us to Himself. And we're going to get to live with this glorious God forever and ever. And we, between now and then, should live in such a way where we desire the Word. And and we desire the Lord of the Word. So much that we desire every word that we speak and every thought that we think to be acceptable to Him. And such that we use even some of those words for those who only have the Son. The Son will keep you simple. You know people who only have the Son. And we need to give them gold. We need to give them the Word that, dis- that explains what the Son is saying. 
We need to give him the son that came from heaven. And my prayer is that when we give the gold of the gospel out, that we will do so with joy. Not less than the son preaches, but we would do so with strength and be eager for the task of telling other people about Jesus. The only way we're going to do that is if we're strong men and women, boys and girls. And we need to feed and be strengthened by this gospel that we might be overjoyed to share it. Creatures see glory, but hearers can actually know the Lord. Father in heaven, we pray that you would take this word and you would make it alive in our hearts. That you would forbid that there would be any here who would not heed the warnings or who would neglect the commands but that we would see that we can actually know you through your word because your word reveals a redeemer who brings us into relationship with the only true God. We pray, God, that you would help us to live lives in honor of him. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.